we are nearing this series on spiritual warfare, and I pray that you have been blessed throughout the series. I want to talk to you about this final piece this morning, or well, really not the final piece, but one of the near final pieces. And I was thinking about it. Um, if you know me, I am a big movie lover. I love movies. I love um, particularly the super action movies. I don't know about you. I, I love the, uh, the Marvel movies. Um, if it has Superman in it, or if it has Spider-Man or Batman or any one of them, just look at me. I know you may say I'm crazy, but I like those types of movies. I love the big epic movies. I like Star Wars. I like all of those cartoons with guys with supernatural powers and things. And one of the more recent movies have come across my attention that I fell in love with. It's called Avengers of Infinity Wars. Any of you seen that movie? Uh, if you haven't, uh, the movie is about a character named Thanos, and Thanos is a very powerful individual. He's, he's very strong, but even though he was strong, he wasn't invincible. And so the movie starts with him deciding that he wants to kind of rule the world and make a big imprint in the world, and so he decides that the way to do that is he needs something to help him, and so they create this glove, and this glove is something that he wears, and when he gets these stones, they're called infinity stones, when he gets these stones and puts them into this glove, it gives him all of this power, and so he sets off to acquire this glove and these stones, and he goes around. Each one of these stones gives him a different power. One of the stones gives him uh, the, the power to control reality. One of the stones gives him the power to control time. And he has all these stones and he sets off and he goes to acquire these stones. And when he gets them all, y'all, he does something that sets the Marvel uh, comic series back and all of the Marvel fans across this world, he sets them back uh, uh, entirely. Uh, if you saw the movie, I knew that many of you started to get upset and to curse because if you saw the movie at the end of it, he does the unthinkable. Once he acquired all of the stones, he does at the end, he snaps his fingers. And when he snaps his fingers, he wipes out a large percentage of the population of the universe. With just a snap of a finger, he eliminates the Black Panther. And when he did that, I know I saw some of y'all getting very upset because Black Panther had just came on the scene and in the next one, he had already been eliminated. He eliminated the Black Panther and he eliminated Spider-Man and he eliminated the Guardians of the Galaxy and he eliminated all of these superheroes and left fans all across the world wondering what was going to happen in the next episode. This glove that he had acquired made him the most powerful man in the universe. The question I have for you this morning is, what if I told you that you have been given something that is infinitely more powerful than the glove of Thanos? The glove of Thanos is imaginary. If it was real, it would be real powerful. But you have been given something real and tangible that's more powerful, infinitely more powerful than the glove of Thanos. What if I told you that you have been given something that is more powerful than the United States military and all of the militaries around the world, at least when it's used properly? 
What if I told you that you had been given something that's more powerful than any demon in hell, more powerful than Satan himself? All of us have been given something that is entirely powerful, a weapon that God has given to us, but it is rarely used. You may ask, what is this weapon that God has given to us? And you find it there in verse 17 in Ephesians chapter 6. Look at it carefully. He says, put on salvation as your helmet and take the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God. You have been given a weapon that is so powerful called the sword of the spirit. Now, for weeks, we have been discussing that you and I are in a spiritual war. Somebody say with me, spiritual war. We are in a spiritual war, and the real enemy that you and I are facing is not flesh and blood. It's not people. It's not the things that you see. It's the things that you don't see. Ephesians chapter 6 and verse 12, if you have your Bibles open, it says, it tells us that we are not wrestling against flesh and blood. We're not wrestling against your mom and your boss and everybody else. They, they may be a problem, but they're not the real problem. I've said this over and over again, that everything that we see in the natural is influenced by something in the supernatural. It is preceded by the supernatural. And so Paul tells us in verse 11 that in order for us to be victorious in the natural, we have to put on something that protects us in the spirit. In verse 11, he says that we must put on the whole armor of God. Why? So that we can stand against the wiles or the attacks or the schemes of the enemy. The Bible says that we have been given armor that we are to put on that protects us from the attacks of the enemy. And when you put these things on, they help to defend you. We've talked about most of these. We talked about one of the pieces of armor is the belt of truth. You put on the belt of truth and whatever attack that you are facing, you need the truth of God's word. He says to put on the breastplate of righteousness. He says that we are to put on our feet and cover our feet with the preparation of the gospel. He says that you are to put on faith. You are to take up faith and to use that in warfare. He talked also about the helmet of salvation. And today we're going to talk about this piece called the sword of the spirit. He says there, if you look at it, it says, take the sword of the spirit. Look at your neighbor and say, take the sword of the spirit. If you're going to be successful in spiritual warfare, you have to take up the sword of the spirit. Now, this sword of the spirit is probably as important as any of these other pieces of armor that God has given to you. It's unique. Do you know why? Because it is the only offensive weapon that God gives to us out of all the pieces of armor that he puts on there. How many know that you can suit up with all of the armor and even have the shield of faith? But if you run out there on the field of battle with just a shield and armor, you're going to have a really bad day. Right. Because all of those other pieces are just defensive pieces. When you go out there, all you can do is hide behind the shield. But how many know that when your enemy is coming at you with other things, you need something to fight back with? Amen. And so the Bible says that God has given us something that is so powerful. When you catch the, the power of this, the word of God is unlike anything that we have ever seen. He's given us something and he calls it the sword of the spirit when you look at there. And I want you to know, number one, that this spirit, this sword that he gives us belongs to who? Who does this sword belongs to? When you read it, it says that the sword of the spirit belongs to the spirit of God. 
Don't miss that because that's important. This sword that he gives us is not just some earthly sword. It is the very spirit of God. It is the sword that God himself uses. When you look there, you see in your Bible how it has the capital S there. When you read that, that capital S, whenever you're reading your Bible and you see spirit and it has the capital S there, it stands for the spirit of God, not just the spirit of man. Lowercase is your spirit or, or another spirit, an evil spirit. But it says that this sword belongs to God himself. This is the very sword that the spirit of God himself uses. That's why it's so powerful. And he says there that this spirit, this sword of the spirit has been given to us. What is this sword? You don't have to guess what the sword is. He tells us what the sword is. He says that the sword of the spirit is the word of. It's the word of God. So I want you to think about that. The most powerful weapon that exists, you carry in your hand. The most powerful weapon that exists that makes demons tremble, that can change the world, that can do everything, is what we carry in our hand. It's that little Bible that you have. It's in your pew. It's that, that word that you leave on the counter at your house and don't read. Amen's going down. Wait a minute now. I'm, I, I, the whole point of this message is the power of the word of God. I want you to have a very high value of the power of the word of God. The most powerful thing that exists is in that book that many of us don't read, we don't study, we don't meditate on. And God says in order to use that, the power that's in that word, you've got to understand how powerful it is in order for us to do anything with it. Most of us don't recognize the power that's in the word of God. Did you know that the Bible says that the word of God is so powerful it has the ability to cut and hurt the spirit? Listen, the Bible says in Hebrews chapter 4, verse 12, he says, For the word of God is alive and powerful. Do you see that? The word of God is powerful. It has power to it. It's not just words written in a book. It's powerful. It says it's sharper than the sharpest two-edged sword cutting between soul and spirit between joint and marrow not only is it a physical thing it says that the word of God has the power and the ability to affect what is in the spirit those things that you cannot see the spirit and the soul it says it exposes our innermost thoughts and our desires the word of God has the power to go deep within and cut and reveal what's in us the Bible says that the word of God that you're holding in your hand is so powerful. It says that it's infallible. It is without error. Psalms 19 and 7 says the law of the Lord is perfect, converting the soul. This Bible that you have in your hand that you don't read has the power to change and convert your soul from within. If you are trying to change and you want to change your life and start living more for God, the power is in the word of God that you have in your hand. He says the testimony of the Lord is sure, making wise the simple. Whenever you need instruction, you need guidance, you need to know what you need to do, you need to figure out what's wrong, the answer is in the book that you're carrying. He says that the word of God is the source of truth. John 17 and 17 says, sanctify them by your truth. Your word is truth. So anything that you need to know the truth on, you find in 
the scriptures. If you're trying to figure out the truth about relationships, you don't need to go talk to Jenny or whoever it is. You just need to open the Bible and you'll find truth. If you want to know the truth about what's going on with your finances, you don't have to go order anything else. It's right there in the scriptures. Many of us are not using the sword that God has given to us and you got it in your hand. The truth is so good that God has given to you. It's there to do many purposes. Second Timothy in three and 16 says this. He says, all scripture is given by inspiration by God. Why? It is profitable for doctrine, how to think, for reproof, for warnings and instructions, for correction or rebuke, for instructions in righteousness. So the word of God is there to both construct you, instruct you, to correct you, to reprove you, and to teach us how to think. So here's the thing. The sword of the spirit is the word of God that he has given to us. It's the most powerful thing in the world. But how many know you can have all the power in the world, but if you don't know how to use it, it's not going to do you any good. And some of us have the Bible, you have the word of God, but you haven't learned how to use it. So the point of the message is, what do we do with all this power that God has given us? How do I use the word? Watch this. And the best person to learn this from is from Jesus himself. Anybody interested in learning that this morning? Turning your Bibles to Matthew chapter 4. How do we use the word? Matthew chapter 4, here we have the familiar story of Jesus when he was tempted by the devil. Now, you, you have to remember the context here. Jesus has just begun. He has met with John the Baptist. He has been baptized. And before God sends him out to start his public ministry, he allows him to go through some testing. Look at your neighbor and say testing. We pick up there, and one of the first things that I want to illustrate here in these first few verses is that what you see here, if you read it, you will see that as I've been telling you that everything that starts that you see in the natural is influenced in the supernatural. Watch this. Everything that Jesus went through did not start in the natural. It started in the spirit. When you look there in verse 1, you'll notice that it says, he was led of the spirit into the wilderness. Do you see that there? He was led into the spirit that God, there was a spiritual force leading him into this testing. One of the first things that I want you to see here, and here was a word as God was telling me this, is that sometimes God himself will lead you into some stuff. You know, sometimes when you get saved, you get amazed at how stuff around you start going crazy. Anybody ever, ever been there before? And the first thing you say is, is that it's the devil, it's the devil, it's the devil. But can I tell you something that sometimes God will lead you into some stuff himself? Before Jesus could go into his public ministry, he had to be proved. He had to be tested. And can I tell you that God has some of you in some situations right now, and you think that it's the devil. And I came to tell you, it's not the devil that's causing all the problem. God has you in some stuff to prove you, to get you ready where he's about to take you to. Can I tell you, God put in my spirit, there are some of you in this church right now who God is literally about to blow your mind. 
He has some things set up and prepared for you. There are some doors that are about to be open. There are some ministries that are supposed to be open. There are some doors, promotion things that are coming to your way. But here's the thing. You can't step into it until he prepares you and makes sure that you're ready to step into it. When you look at Jesus there, Jesus, every test that Jesus went through was something that he met, at, that he would meet further in his, in his ministry. But he couldn't go through it until he first was tested and proved. And here's the thing. When God sends you through something, we know that God is all powerful. So that means if God is allowing you to go through something, there is something that he's developing in you. See, when Satan brings tests and trials, he means to destroy you. He means to destroy your relationship. But when God brings you through tests and trials, he's doing something to build you up and make you strong. For example, the Bible says in James chapter 1, he encourages us, James chapter 1 verse 2, he says, Dear brothers and sisters, when troubles of any kind come your way, consider it an opportunity for what? Great joy. For you know that when your faith is tested, your endurance has a chance to grow. This is the New Living Translation. He says, when troubles of any kind come your way, consider a great opportunity for when your faith is tested. Look at somebody say, when your faith is tested. Anybody faith in here being tested? Anybody, the devil, every time you turn around, something is just going on, uh, 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 the car breaking, the children acting crazy, the husband walking in the house acting crazy. And every time you turn around, it seems like your faith, faith is being tested. Can I tell you something that God says when he sends you through that allows you to go through it? He's doing something on purpose. It's not to destroy you. It's to shape you. Look what he says. He says, for you know that when your faith is tested, your endurance, your patience has a chance to grow. Anybody need help with patience? You might as well raise your hand because I know I'm not the only one in here. Some of the things that God allows you to go through is to build patience in you. Naturally, we are not patient people. Anybody want it done immediately? But here's the thing. If you can't learn to deal with it on this level, you're definitely not going to deal with it on the next level. He says, verse 4, so let it grow. For when your patience or endurance is fully developed. Look at somebody say fully developed. You're not fully developed yet. And therefore, some of the trials, listen, you think that you're there by coincidence. You're not there by coincidence. Some of us, you keep getting in the same situation over and over and over again. And you ain't recognize that it ain't these things just happening. God has you there for a purpose. Anybody ever just keep running into the same problem over and over and over again? Can I tell you something? Sometimes the problem is not external. You ever know somebody who just keep dating and dating and dating and the problem is always. Sometimes the problem ain't external. Sometimes the problem is here and God is working on us. He says, when you fully develop patience, you will be perfect and complete needing nothing. So some of the things that God allows us to go through is so that he can perfect us. But when you look there, we are told that the other person doing the test. And so first it was God who sent him up there. But then secondly, we see that the spirit, Satan himself, was the one doing the attacking. 
From the attacking, we see several things about Satan and how he attacks. I'm going to run through these quickly. Number one, we see that whenever Satan attacks you, he will always come at the worst time. Do you see that? It says there in verse two, it said, after Jesus had fasted for 40 days and was hungry, he came. Do you see that? If you look in Luke chapter four, it indicates that it gives the impression that he tested them all 40 days. But here in, in, in Matthew, it gives the impression that when Jesus became hungry, when he was at his worst, that's when the enemy came and gave the full attack. Anybody know that the devil, when he comes, don't always come at a good time? It implies that he waits for the right and opportune time to come. He waits till you are weak. He waits until you are frustrated. He waits until you are ready to give up. He waits until you are so tired of dealing with these people. And then he comes and he drops the bomb on you. The second thing we see is that when he attacks, listen, when the devil attacks, he generally attacks in one of three ways. I can guarantee you if you are in this place today and you are struggling in an area of your life, I can guarantee you the attack is coming through one of these ways. It's either through the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, the pride of life. It's coming from one of those. First John 2 and 16 tells us this. For all that is in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life is not of the Father, but is of the world. When you look there at the attacks of Jesus, you see this every time the enemy comes. Turning food to bread was to satisfy the desires of the flesh. Showing him and asking him to jump off the temple was to satisfy his pride. If you're the son of God, you're the man. I mean, you God, go ahead and jump off the building and show us what you're working with. It was to satisfy his pride. Showing him all the kingdom of the world and saying, I'll give them to you, was to satisfy the desires of his eyes. Whenever the enemy comes, he's going to come at you through one of those ways. Watch this. Now, what can we learn from Jesus on how to respond to the sword? How can we learn from Jesus on how to use this sword? Number one, now watch this. These are very simple. All of us have access to the sword. The question is, how do we use it? The first thing we see from Jesus, watch this, is he knew the word. Watch this. I know this seems very simplistic, but when you watch it, the first thing is he knew the word. The sword of the spirit is the word of God, but you can't use it if you don't know what it is. The biggest problem in the church today is many people come to church, but they don't know the word. Every time, listen, in every situation the enemy came at Jesus with, he always responded with what the word of God said about it. In other words, he always knew what God had said. Let me ask you a question. What got Eve in trouble at the very beginning? It was my plan to do a, a comparison of the fall of Eve and the response of Jesus to show the comparison, but I knew I wouldn't have time to do that. But if you go back and look in Genesis chapter 3, what got Eve in trouble at the very beginning was that she did not know what God had said. If you go back and read it, the Bible says in Genesis chapter 3 that the serpent came to Eve and he said, hath God said. Do you remember that? Can I give you the, the Pastor Jones paraphrase? He came and said, what did God say? And Eve, when she responded, said, oh, well, God said that we can't eat of this fruit and we can't touch of the fruit unless we die. 
But how many of you know that there was something Eve said that God didn't say? God never said you couldn't touch the fruit. He said that you aren't supposed to eat the fruit. Watch this. And you may look at that and say, well, pastor, that's, that's a very simple thing. But how many know that all the devil needs is just a little bit of error? All he needs is a little bit of misunderstanding of what God says, and he can twist it and use it to take you down a path you should have never been on. Watch this. From that little bit of error that Eve said, he then got in a discussion with her that convinced her and deceived her that what she should be doing is eating the fruit. All he needs is a little bit of information, a little bit of error, a little bit of misunderstanding, and he can lead you down the road path. Listen, in order to use the word of God, you got to know what the word of God says. Watch this. And not only know what the word of God says, you got to know specifically what the word of God says about your specific situation. Here, listen, here's a big thing where I think most of us are missing it. You know some things about the word of God, but you don't know what the word of God has said about your specific situation. See, and listen, the sword that he's talking about is not the word of God. See, see, when you when you go back and read Ephesians chapter six, you know where it says, take the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God. That word that it says it is the word of God is not the Bible. It's not the logos. You know, if you if you get a Greek concordance, the logos stands for the word of God, the Bible that you're holding. He doesn't use that word. He uses a word called rhema. Rhema means a specific part of God's word that he specifically speaks to you for your situation. Watch this. So you can have the word of God, but you still ain't wielding no sword yet. Because he didn't say take the word of God. He said take the rhema of God, which is a specific instance in the Bible where God speaks to you to speak into your situation. Watch this. You may say, well, pastor, why is it so important? Why is knowing the specific thing about God so important? It's because when you don't know the word of God specifically for your situation, you can be misled. I don't know who I'm speaking with. Watch this. See, you have to know the word for yourself or else all the other things that people say can mislead you. For example, look there in the text. Why, is, why was it so important to know the word? Look there in verse 4. When the devil tempted Jesus into turning the rocks into bread, you'll note that Jesus quoted Deuteronomy chapter 8, verse 3. Okay? You may not know that yet, but if you did a little research, when Jesus was saying, man does not live by bread alone, but by every word out of the mouth of God, he was quoting from the Old Testament. Now, here's the problem. What is the big deal with Jesus turning bread, turning rocks into bread? I mean, why is that a sin? Okay, Jesus is the son of God, right? You, you know he got power. The Bible said that he hungry. There ain't no store around. So why can't, what's the, what's the big deal? What's the problem with Jesus turning those rocks into bread? I mean, we know that later in his, in his ministry, he healed the sick. He raised people from the dead. We know that he multiplied fish and he multiplied bread. Well, what is the problem with Jesus doing that? The best way that you can discern what the problem is, how many know that the devil is, is, is real subtle in what he's trying to do? Watch this. And our lack of understanding of what God says will be your downfall. See, you can, you can figure out what the problem is in the way how Jesus answered him. Watch this. 
when you go back, the best way to figure it out is you have to go back to Deuteronomy chapter 8, verse 3 to figure out what it was. When you do that, we don't have time to do that now, but when you do that, you find that God was teaching Israel about obedience. In that passage, if you go back and read Deuteronomy 8, chapter 1, verse 3, he was teaching them that man does not live by bread alone, but you live by what the word of God says. So he was teaching them to trust in him. He was teaching them that he would provide for their needs. He was teaching them to come back to me for whatever it is that you need. Watch this. And what Satan was trying to do was to get him not to wait on God, but rather to act on his own independent of God. Do you see it now? He was trying to get Jesus to use his power inappropriately. But Jesus responded by saying, even though I am hungry, I must wait on God to tell me when to eat and not you. Do you see that? See, it was different. The enemy came in very subtle and said, well, you got the power. Well, why don't you go ahead and do this? And if Jesus would have fallen for that, he would have acted on his own, but forgot about that all of his power and everything came from God, and he can't use his power unless God authorized him to do it. Can I tell you, in the same way how the devil came at Jesus, he comes at us the same way? By trying to get us to do things without waiting on God. You need that car, don't wait on God, just go ahead and go buy it. Come on, somebody. He comes at us all the time. You, you, you need a man, you want a husband, don't wait on God to give you a husband, just go ahead and grab your man. Amen, that went down. But when you don't know what the word of God says specifically about your situation, it can get you into trouble. Here's a question that I have for you. Do you know what the word of God has said about the specific trial or testing that you are experiencing right now? Some of us are going through stuff. Watch this. You have a sickness in your body. Hear what I'm saying. You can take the Bible and read it and do all that all you want, but you ain't doing no work for it yet until you first figure out what has God specifically said about sickness and healing in the Bible. If you have issues in your finances, until you find out the specific words that God has spoken about your finances, you're not wielding the sword yet. You've got to spend time in the word of God finding out what God has said. The Bible says in 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 15, the only way you do this, he says, is to study to show thyself approved unto God. And the problem with many of us is, is you're reading the Bible, but you're not studying it. And the way to get victory that you're going to have to read it, study it, and then apply it to your life. Let me go through this one very quickly. His second thing that we see that Jesus did is he spoke the word. Not only did he know the word when the enemy attacked him, what did Jesus always do? When you look there carefully, every time the enemy tempted him or attacked him, Jesus says, it is what? It is written. Some of us, listen, did you notice that Jesus never debated with the devil? He never tried to convince him why he shouldn't do something. He never went back and forth with him. Jesus only spoke the word. Do you know why? Because in the Bible, the Bible says he never gives a situation to where we are told to argue with the devil. Can I give you a word this morning? Stop arguing with people. Only speak the word. Watch this, because see, when the doctor report comes, how many of you know that it's interesting, it's easy to start arguing with people about what your diagnosis is? 
Stop, stop doing that. Listen, the Bible says that the only thing that you and I are supposed to do is to speak the word of God. Second Corinthians chapter 10, verse five says, casting down arguments. We're never told to argue with the enemy. We're only told to cast them down. He says, cast down arguments, not to argue with them. He says, cast them down and every high thing that exalts itself against the knowledge of God, bring it into captivity, every thought to the obedience of Christ. We are never told to argue with the devil. We're only told to speak the word of God. Listen, so whatever your situation is right now, stop arguing with people and start declaring what God has said. The way you swing the sword is not by arguing with people. When your husband walks into the house and he's fussing for no reason at all, don't sit there and argue with him. Start swinging the word of God, not at him, but at the real enemy. Because you remember, the weapons of our warfare are not carnal. They're not against him. We got to go after the source of what's influencing him. Amen. So you got to use your mouth to speak the word of God. And then lastly, number three, is we see that Jesus obeyed the word of God. How many know that Satan is not concerned with how much you know or even how much you speak? He's concerned with what you do with it. Watch this. And the last thing is, is, is when you're speaking, don't just speak and don't just know, do what it says. So in other words, you can know that God says to forgive. You can speak that God says to forgive. But how many of you know that you never move and forgive? You can know that God says to tithe, but never tithe, and you still hadn't swilled any sword. So in order to use a sword, you got to do three things. You have to know the word. You have to speak the word, and then you also have to obey the word. Amen. So as you go through this week, here's a challenge. You must spend time this week. You, you can't know the word without studying it. And for some of us, listen, you're so busy in everything else to where you don't have any time to study the word of God. And the problem is the reason why you're not getting into victory, number one, you're probably using the wrong scriptures for what you need. Come on, amens, don't go, they're going down a little bit. So listen, you have to spend time diligently. Watch this. You spend time going to work eight hours a day. You spend talking on the phone. Some of us, you spend all day twittering and, and, and uh, uh, texting and, and tweeting and, and doing all these different things. But here's the question. How much time are you spending, spending reading your word? Wait a minute now. Some of us get ready and we go to the gym. Oh, boy, the amen that went down. Oh, boy, I got to look fine, Pastor. So we go to the gym, and you spend two hours at the gym and five minutes on the Word of God. Can I tell you something? You ain't really got no sword. You got a little miniature dagger. And when the devil come, you swing an out-of-date word. You, you got a little pick for it that you're doing like this, and he's sitting there looking at you laughing. He's not running at all. Why? Because in order for him to run, we must learn to speak the word, know the word, and do the word. Amen. Let us bow our heads. Father, in the name of Jesus, our time is gone.